0: Greetings HPLD podcast listeners, a quick notification about an upcoming event. We have an online class, Mobility for All, using Lyft. Learn to use one of the most popular ride-sharing apps. Lyft finds available drivers near you and even lets you know if there's a scooter-sharing option nearby. During this hands-on workshop, you'll learn to download the app, book a ride, pay with your credit card through the app, and understand important ride-sharing safety tips. Please have your smartphone ready and your Apple ID or Google Play Store password so that you can download the app. This is an online event. Find details and attend online. Go to bit.ly slash HPLD Mobility. That's b i t . l y dot L-Y slash Today's audio is older audio we recorded with Jay Trask, a University of Northern Colorado archivist who takes us through the weird and wonderful world of university archives. Welcome to WeldCast, a digital project from the High Plains Library District. This project records, documents, and preserves the rich artistic history of Weld County and its residents through storytelling. The stories are stored digitally and are available to all users online at WeldCast.com. Today's WeldCast takes us to the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley specifically to the James A. Mitchner Library, where we'll be hearing from head archivist Jay Trask. Jay showed me around the archives when I visited.
1: It's alarmed.
0: Wow. That's official.
1: It is, and then we'll close the door because it's cold in here.
0: Some of the things we saw are what you'd expect
1: university records here Um, and it's just you know just a huge row of boxes with like presidential files and Board of Trustees minutes
0: and student newspapers and things like that. Some of the things we saw were quite special.
1: Not that long ago we just got a bunch of um, Native American artifacts that the university used to own Um, and then in the 80s when they shut down their anthropology museum they shipped it off to different places throughout the state. Um, but the Fine Arts Center down in Colorado Springs called us a couple of years ago and said, Hey, we've got all this Native American stuff that's yours. Take it back. So it's Native American pots, and there's like a war bonnet, and there's a, um, moccasins and things like that.
0: The university specializes in collecting James Michener's materials, which sometimes look like what you'd expect correspondence and his um, like manuscripts
1: like drafts of manuscripts and the galleys are up here. Oh, uh, cool. And then, so you'll see the ha- his handwritten edits. And Michener's really interesting how he um, so he like would literally cut and paste. So if he got something and he didn't like a word, he would just cut it out. Or he would paste entire paragraphs huh. on and so it would be like this weird kind of like ransom note yeah (laughs) yeah it's kind of what it looks like it's always kind of strange Um, we try to collect in all formats and we also collect um, all the various um, translations so yeah yeah. books on tape yeah books on tape yeah so old cassettes and Hmm. things like that
0: and sometimes the Michener collection takes on a different tone
1: this is a bootleg that he collected, and he collected it because he loved the cover. A bootleg
0: of his own book? Of his own book. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was not... It's a passionate embrace of what appears to be two ladies there. Yes. Um, Which book is this? This is The Drifters, okay. and this
1: has no- that has nothing to do with the book, but in, they were selling it in Turkey.
0: The university also collects and archives material of local star and sci-fi legend Connie Willis
1: there's some rejection letters in there which are cool so like no, for, yeah. there's rejection letters even for really famous pieces like mm-hmm. all my darling daughters which mm-hmm. is like in any kind of science fiction sex book that, you know what i mean right. like if it's a it's an anthology mm-hmm. all my darling daughters is going to be in there mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's rejected a million times it seemed like you know <laughs> you know from just the like, what are you guys doing oh, yeah i <laughs> know
0: <laughs> it's just crazy all this to say there's a lot of stuff in the archives But what isn't as evident right away is how the stuff gets here. How do they decide what stays and what goes? Who picks? Who is this archivist anyway? I sat down with Jay to find out. My name is Jay Trask, and I am the head of
1: archival services and an associate professor of university libraries at the University of Northern Colorado.
0: Archival versus archival? Is this an industry standard it's or? the
1: industry standard in the west at least oh, so, okay um uh, I, we always say archival here in um, everybody i know in colorado and west of the mississippi it might be different back east but
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. see i'm learning already i know i'm That's learning exciting. so much yeah. <laughs> And then, you know, if you can give me kind of the the more casual version. So in other words, you meet someone and they're like, so what do you do? And you say the title, but then they're like, okay, but what do you do?
1: Yeah. So what, what I normally sum up with, I either say I'm an archivist, um, I'm head of archives at the university, and then to kind of say... My super sum-up version is I take care of the old stuff at okay. the university. So, and then I give a couple of examples, like I'll take care of old photographs and mm-hmm. old documents and things like that. And that normally satiates somebody's basic curiosity unless they actually care about those kinds of oh, things. Oh, okay. Then unless I can go they're into, deeply involved. Yes. Into <laughs> then I can go into greater depth.
0: What, uh, I see what you're saying. I think we all have that, right? That thing where we say, All right, here's the two sentence version yeah. and then we can see, does this person actually want to know? Right. Or were they just like, hmm that's the thing we ask people at parties or yes, whatever. I know.
1: And I'm I'm super um concerned about that, like mm-hmm. because I uh, maybe it's my nerdy nature and that like I love comics and I mm-hmm. love, you know, science fiction type stuff. And I don't ever want to be that nerd that imposes that on oh, someone sure. else. Yes. So when people ask me what I'm interested in, I've figured ways or what I do. I sum up. If they want to explore further, mm-hmm. they've opened up that door, it's right. on them. Right. No longer it's not me pushing them. Yeah, pushing. Because like I care greatly about the fourth Robin. Right. But right. no one else does. So <laughs> right. I don't wanna be that person.
0: So that sounds kind of like there's a parallel in your personal life and then your work life. To say that, you know, you work really deeply with things that probably a lot of people are just don't care about as much, you know, or they're like, put it in the archives, right? Yeah. And that's kind of sounds like how your personal life sort of went into that. So how did you get started, you know, in archiving professionally? I mean, how did this become a thing for you?
1: Well, it it really kind of... I'll give you the full story, because it, it is kind of cool, actually. It, I fell into archival work. Okay. I did my undergraduate at Fort Collins at CSU. Okay. And in my senior seminar, there was the discussion of, so what do you do now? And I knew I wasn't going to go high school teachering route right. at all. And were you
0: history? I was history. Okay. Yeah,
1: I did history. And so the person who um, was the director of the senior seminar, he talked about the public history program that they have at CSU. Mm-hmm. Um, and so public history is kind of the triumvirate of archival work, historic preservation, and museum work. Okay, um, And so I was actually interested in historic preservation, so buildings, mm-hmm. um, when I first started going to graduate school there. But as I approached um, the end of my career um, at, as a graduate student, The guy who had been the head of that senior seminar called me and asked me if I needed a job, Hmm. which I did. And there was a job at the um, National Wildlife Research Center. They needed somebody to work on archival photographs there to do sorting out of their historic photographs. Um, So I took that job, and it was kind of – it was strangely horrific uh, (laughs) in that – because the National Wildlife Research Center, what they do is they're concerned with animal – Human damage prevention. So um, a big chunk of, like, the photographs I was doing um, were photographs of animal kills to show, like, this is when a bear kills a cow, this is how a bear will kill a cow. When a coyote kills a cow,
0: this is how a coyote will do this. Um, So super (laughs) up-close, detailed (laughs) detailed detailed photos. photos. Now, was that... (laughs) Even remotely what you expected when you signed on for that. It
1: like, was, was not it, at all. You're
0: like it's gonna be a deer out in a meadow. Oh, yes, <laughs> it'll be
1: pretty and like, yeah, happy raccoons or something like that. No, but it was um it was also because earlier, the earlier incarnation of the National Wildlife Research Center didn't care about the preservation of animals really. It was mm-hmm. it was all about killing. Um, okay. So they're really historic photographs, so they're photographs from the teens and the twenties. There were tons of like just where they sent out the government agents to kill rabbits or to kill crows. I see. And so I remember clearly a, one photograph, they had spelled out the number of dead rabbits using the rabbit bodies wow. that they killed. So it was like 197. And it's just all in a little <laughs> pile of rabbits up in front. How bizarre. Yeah. And so um, – it was a weird place to yeah. work. The first week there, I got a uh, there was an email that went around that was like, "We just got a shipment of squirrels in. We need help skinning these squirrels. Anybody want to come in after hours?" It's like no. like a squirrel skinning party, <laughs> a huh? squirrel skinning party, because they were trying to figure out percentage of poison in the squirrels, okay? And they needed to do some sciencey thing to them.
0: They're but, like, "Great news! Yeah, <laughs> we got a bag of squirrel bodies." <laughs> yeah. This is kind of, you know, sometimes in the library world back when, if you had a card catalog, right? Like every couple of months you'd have like a catalog sorting party. So you'd take a section home to (laughs) someone's house and everyone would kind of sit around a table and maybe or maybe not have an adult beverage and, you know, put the things in order, right? So this sounds like the wildlife version of that, (laughs) but much more intense.
1: Much more intense, yeah. (laughs) And on the tour, too, I remember there was a... They were working with brown tree snakes okay. as well. So brown tree snakes are that invasive species that are island hopping in the Pacific, and they're killing all native wildlife. So they're figuring out ways to stop them. And so on the tour, they have like a snake room, but they they have a a snake like rolling pin. So they would, when they when they killed a snake to, with figuring out whatever perfect poison to kill it with, Okay, they would want to, they'd freeze dry it, and then they'd like roll use their rolling pin to make like a snake powder to figure out the exact chemical compounds and exact chemical
0: whoa yeah so, so it kind of pulverize <laughs> like a mortar and pestle almost yeah. <laughs> and then wow
1: yeah it was it was crazy so it was an introduction that archival world can be really weird so it was kind of cool well i was there for not very long cuz it was a contract position like let's get okay. these horrific um photographs cataloged and organized. <laughs> yeah. um, and then my professor, who had uh, who had been uh, on that senior seminar, called again while I was at work at this other place and said, hey, do you still need a job? Because um, the State Archives was hiring. Uh, and okay. he knew the State Archivist. He's like, I'll just call him, and you should have that job. And I went down, and it was the most awkward interview I'd ever had. He just asked me, like, about... You know, my family told mm-hmm. me about his son like it was really strange. The only thing that was real was they wanted to make sure I could climb a ladder and carry <laughs> fifty pounds of you know fifty pound box over my head as I climbed a ladder. Oh, interesting, so
0: now did they have like a ladder and a box there, and they 're like, all right, pick this
1: up it was They actually took us into the basement and uh-huh. it looked very reminiscent of that you know the famous Indiana Jones scene of <laughs> Where Cars they're putting they... away the yeah, there's just miles and miles of boxes down wow. in the basement and they're like all right climb that ladder get the the fourth box back there cuz that made mean- okay. you had to move okay. four boxes and then bring it down carry it back up put it away all right you're That's hired <laughs> and it's it's kind of expected in arch- archival jobs you'll get you will have people who will make sure that you can carry Heavy boxes around. It's, yeah.
0: So if you're like a former bodybuilder, world strongest, whatever, yeah. might want to look into archives because yeah, they beautiful. might be yeah. like, hmm, he's yeah. a <laughs> can <carry> broad-shouldered, <laughs> stout individual yeah. who could get a lot of work done, <laughs> right? <here>. Yeah,
1: he <laughs> can move four, or five boxes. Double online. our productivity. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be beautiful. Yeah, um, but I, I was at the state archives, and early in my career, I was. I didn't stick around places that long. Um, sure. I was at state archives for less than 2 years. Okay. Um and then I went down to Pueblo to work at a abandoned um at the Colorado Fuel and Iron mm-hmm. company and they abandoned all their records. So I was there for 5 years and then... just
0: kind of sitting in some like is it an a whole abandoned facility or just their records they turned over or
1: Yeah, it was kind of cool cuz there was um So CF&I used to be like the biggest employer in all of Colorado. It was a huge deal here in Colorado. They owned mines um, throughout um, the West. They owned mines up in Wyoming and New Mexico and Utah. And um, their big steel plant where they actually manufactured was down in Pueblo. And so in the 1980s, you know, as American industry was contracting, Mm -hmm. CF&I kind of started to die. Um, And so... The, they just kind of shed buildings um, and did just abandoned areas of the, of the mill. So where we were at was their old headquarters building, which was built in 1901. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just filled. Rooms were just filled with old abandoned records. So there was mm-hmm. 20,000 linear feet of material there um, and spread out in the old admin building plus several outbuildings that were around there. Okay. Um, there was actually a place even called the pit, which was literally <laughs> a hole in the ground with some, like with no covering. And then there were these side rooms that were filled with like 19th century ledgers. Wow. Yeah. And it just was, in a, a pit, an actual just, pit, an actual pit. And so wow. there were work days to go there and like, you'd have to, you know, take a ladder to get down and mm-hmm. then, um, Early on, you would just carry things one by one up, right. a, up the ladder. Um, after I left, they went out and finally did a complete clean out of it. And they got like a cherry picker or whatever those things are. I don't to know. Reach my, to reach down and. To reach down and actually load it up. So you're That's not, good. Yeah, that made a lot more <laughs> sense. I was relying on Mormon missionaries, surprisingly. Mormon huh. missionaries did a lot of carrying of boxes for me down in Pueblo.
0: That Like as volunteers? Yeah, or? because
1: of, I think because Mormons have a deep, Respect of the archival profession because of their genealogical interests. Oh, interesting. And so um, they, we were, they, it was considered mission work to do work for us.
0: So they were doing their normal mission. Yeah. But then every so often they spend a day in the pit. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Carrying boxes up. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah.
0: Now, were they surprised when they, because I'm surprised hearing this, I guess. I hadn't really thought about how archive work involves so much carrying and lifting you know what i mean like yeah. warehouse almost work? right yeah um, were they surprised when they showed up and it was like okay you're going to get on this ladder yeah eh,
1: a little bit yeah <laughs> it was and students certainly were surprised yeah like when we'd get work study students who were like history majors who'd never right they just assumed they were going to be coming and doing research or something right
0: you're when, like you may not want to wear that tweed
1: jacket yeah, you certainly may not <laughs> i remember at this place in pueblo um it was well it was an abandoned industrial facility so it was it was all sorts of weird crazy things and half the half the students were petrified of ghosts and other you know
0: paranormal being f- at the facility yeah
1: cuz they just assumed because it's built in 1901 and it's Dirty and creepy. It's going to yeah. be haunted. Um, but uh, I remember one time there was a stu- oh, I had a work study student who came who kept coming up and who's like, "I hear something weird in the basement." I'm like, "No, you don't. Get back to work." You know, <laughs> <laughs> but you're crying. And finally, um, I went with him, and there was a feral cat like giving birth, like right. Oh wow! The, the, it was it was beautiful, and they were those kittens lived there until we found a uh, feral cat. Rescue place to yeah, come, the cat in. ranch. To yeah, come in, yeah, yeah. And they came and captured the cats and huh. the, took them away, so we didn't see them.
0: Yeah. I had never considered <laughs> that an archivist would be saying. So I was in this facility that everyone thought was haunted. Yeah, <laughs> and it turned out to just be a cat. Yeah. So we had to find someone to come yeah. take these feral cats. And you're like, the, things end up on your to do list. Yeah, that so you're like, I had, I, I mean, did you feel prepared by you know school and things for that, or was this all kind of no. <laughs> no, not
1: at all. Because um, we were winging it. Um, we were all – everybody who worked there, um, I was the head of archives, and this was like my second real job out of graduate school. Um, so we were young, and you know, my another great thing there, there was a – in the old drafting room, some of the windows were broken. Mm-hmm. So we'd get pigeons in there, mm-hmm. and we'd have um, – I had one work-study student who just – that was his job, was to like hunt down the pigeons in the building and capture them and throw them out. <laughs> he he originally proposed that he would bring a gun uh-huh. and hunt them, like, actually hunt them. I'm like, no,
0: no, no. Like, no. We probably shouldn't do that.
1: <laughs> so he created some sort of, like, net device that he ran through the,
0: <laughs> That's so... through the
1: building hunting pigeons. And, yeah, we get, like, weird water leaks because it was near the one of the big ditches in Pueblo, mm-hmm. and so the water would just seep underneath and it'd start coming up. It was... Wow. I've, I've kind of handled all sorts of weird archival problems, so I haven't... I'm not really intimidated by any kind of...
0: Just, like, take it as it comes? Is yeah. that kind of the archivist way? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. well, we'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah, it'll be fine. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know? Well, on that topic, I mean, what are some of, like, the more interesting finds you've come across or that you've, you know... Yeah. seen other people come across, or...
1: yeah there's a ma i mean I really do love doing archival work and mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's kind of amazing, and every place that I've worked has got had really cool collections mm-hmm. you know, and things that just do surprise you um like the c f and i archives really has some super cool things though um some of my favorites from that were um so c f and I were the easiest way to say it, were they were the bad guys in the Ludlow Massacre. Oh. So they were the company that were shooting miners and their family during the Ludlow Massacre. So, um, and obviously it's heavy industry Mm -hmm. and labor relations were always a big, big deal. So um, in the 1920s, the industrial workers of the world Mm -hmm. had kind of a last big hurrah here in Colorado um, to try to unionize everybody and socialize you know socialize the workforce and uh c f and i plant not only planted spies in the union they also um sent some thugs over to steal um all the i w w files wow. so those files were still in the records,
0: so you found those files yes when you were <laughs>
1: yeah and i mean and we found the spy reports so the spies were never identified <laughs> by name there was x double x XX, and triple x and oh, they would report back um to mine managers and mine security and say things like generally a lot of Well, there's a lot of racism in there, especially against Eastern Europeans. Um, They really, CF and I really hated the Greeks. And they'd be like, there's six or seven Greeks. They're coming up to your mine. They're going to ruin everything. Um, But also, these spies were in there. They were agitating for violence. They were trying to provoke violence so that the mine managers could react with violence.
0: Oh, interesting
1: without seeming bad in the press.
0: So they were trying to like stir the pot, yeah, to tip it over to violence, but to have it be like, well they started they it. They started it, and so it's okay wow. that we can go in and then shoot them. Um, and there was oh, so like one of the
1: coolest documents was a um, it was like a shopping list that a mine manager submitted during one of these strikes mm-hmm. and the shopping list was like 50 sawed off shotguns like, like machine guns they actually requested machine guns they requested a plane in the 1920s um some to gas... quell, like um, <laughs> to quell a group a of miners basically yeah. wow yeah. I mean, an airplane wanted... <laughs> yeah an airplane and gas grenades wow so <laughs> we're hoping to get surplus gas grenades from you know a, a, probably the Military.
0: Yeah, I wonder who received that shopping list (laughs) and what they're, you know, they're like, what is going on down there?
1: There were always amazing things at that.
0: That's interesting.
1: Um, I also, and just on personal notes, um, because I'm from Southern Colorado. Okay. And um, my grandpa was like worked at that, uh, at the steel mill. Oh. Some of my uncles did as well. And I found um, my uncle's, like records
0: like personnel the, yeah their, and... their
1: personnel records that ah. were there um, and so like my grandpa's personnel record is this tiny little thing because he went to work every day and always he never caused any problems one of my uncles was like this huge massive like, <laughs> <laughs> like he was uh he was eventually let go because they found him sleeping mm. um during one of his shifts and uh he sued them it was a huge long
0: Interesting. Beautiful. Yeah. So to see that contrast of yeah. like, well, here's yeah. Grandpa. It's yeah. That like one sentence. <laughs> yes. And then it's huge. It's like in the movies, you know, when they're like, "Can I see the file of such and such student?" And it's you know Bart Simpson, yeah. and they throw this huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly part how it A. Was. You know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so that was cool. I mean, working at the state archives, we had um, there were weird things at the state archives as well. Um, the Color Bureau of Investigation mm. would like deposit like dna type sample things with us so cbi would show up and be checking out like 20 boxes of bullets you know wow (laughs) they could just you know now that they had the dna the ability to check the the genetic stuff on it they would take it away um there would be you know tons and tons of Unrelated case files from all the different courts in the okay. in the state. So um, I remember once, um, well, there somebody had was doing research on family history, right? Mm-hmm. Which happens a lot, and they discovered that grandpa or great grandpa or somebody had gone to court, and they wanted to find the record. Mm-hmm. So we found the record, um, and there was an actual transcript of the court um, of the court case that happened in the late. Um, Victorian era, mm-hmm. and I I normally wouldn't censor anything, and I didn't censor anything. But I said I told the person I'm not a hundred percent sure that you're going to be happy with what you're finding out. Oh yeah, because um, it turned out that it was a sexual assault of a child, and like once we gave the, I you know warned them it's not going to be pleasant, mm-hmm. and once we gave it to them, then they wanted us to seal the record permanently, and we're mm-hmm. like no. We can't do that. That doesn't it's, work that way. Yeah. it's. I mean, you could put in a request with a judge. Who, right. But the judge is going to go, no, that's it's a public record.
0: I guess, that, yeah, that's something I, I hadn't thought of either. But, you know, a lot of people do genealogical type research. Yeah. But I think we all, well, most of us kind of do it in hopes of, like, I was related to Abraham Lincoln right, or yeah. something, you know. And you don't expect, like, oh,
1: yeah, it is it is mysterious. It's, you never know. I mean, some people were excited. I mean, it depends on the crime that they right, find out. Right, right. So if you find out that, like, Great aunt was a you know bootlegger, yes. that's way different.
0: Well, we definitely feel differently about bootlegging. Than, <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Huh. Because when you look at the—and the State Archives has all the prison photographs. Oh, so, okay. So it's crazy, just speaking of the bootlegging and Prohibition era, uh-huh. the huge jump— in, um, in the number, of... in the number of people going to prison—it <laughs> was just crazy—and a, in a jump in how the people looked who were going to prison, oh, because yeah. early on there's that kind of inherent bias in the system. Mm-hmm. There's an awful lot of Hispanic, mm-hmm. you know, criminals, and a lot, awful lot of, um, you know, rough-looking men. But mm-hmm. once you get to um, prohibition, there's like. 19-year-old
0: woman is going, you know, is going
1: away for liquor violations. That's interesting.
0: it's a whole different... Yeah, you can kind of see history play out that way, I guess, when you look at the archive, right? Like, looking back, you can see those things. I wonder about, too, you know, at that time, so for example, you're saying a court record might be interesting for you genealogically, like, there might not... Give an individual... Like, say your grandpa, you know, there's basically one sentence in his personal file. There might not be a lot of stuff. Do you think that's, like, going to change a lot in the present time moving forward? I mean, now, you know, people have choice. They put stuff online, like Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Not everyone does, but a lot of people do. Yeah. So do you think that's going to change a lot of that? And do you think – how do you think that will change that kind of research or archiving work?
1: it's already changed, you know how the profession works. I mean, so with the even the birth of like the telephone, it changed mm-hmm. how things, how kind of business right. do, business is done.
0: Yeah, there'd so, be less written stuff. Yeah, right? there's cause... less
1: evidence right. of, what, of what happened. Um, and now, I mean, Facebook and Twitter and email, mm-hmm. um, it almost pushes it back the other way where there's too much to sort. But, yeah, through and... um, because you can only save so much, and that's one of the right. biggest challenges in archives, um, is you need to, and that's one of the, the biggest pressures on an archivist, is to make the right decisions about mm-hmm. what to save, mm-hmm. what's actually worth saving. Mm-hmm. So, like, every single tweet that's made by, I don't know, like, the lieutenant governor trying to give, you know, right. are right. those important enough to save? Right. And then if you go down further, like, the tweet saved by individual random people right does that matter Um, right what what matters to give you a good representation of the person and Hmm. how do you manage and save that material is super challenging yeah because we've got to worry about accessibility of electronic media right in a hundred years so i mean if you think like are you going to get back to you know that word perfect assignment that you did you know in third grade <laughs> right. right? That's it's lost. Um, True. Yeah. We at the state archives when I was there, there was a room full of optical discs that, mm-hmm. as far as I understood it, there was nothing left in the state that could read those discs, but they were identified as permanent records for the state. Um, so the the information was completely inaccessible, but they were still we were maintaining there them somehow. yeah so it was wow. on the disc but there were no way to get to the stuff because they were these giant like laser like disc laser disc side. kind of where yeah. they're the size
0: of like a vinyl record but right. it's a cd yeah material
1: yeah and it huh. there was apparently nothing that could still read them like the state <laughs> owned um mm-hmm. and we just recently um we were working with KUNC mm-hmm. uh, because we have a bunch of their old tapes
0: here. Oh, okay. and their,
1: their anniversary is coming up, so they want to go back and revisit some of those tapes. Okay. So we're where they can access that. And so we've been digitizing that stuff okay. slowly. Um, and we have a few um, things that we can't even access. Um, it's like huge old video Formats which are like oh, bigger yeah. than VHS. And I'm sure you've seen them around. Yes, um, We have to send them out somewhere and I got to huh. make very conscious decisions on what I want to spend money to.
0: Because of the cost of. Yeah. And that's got to be hard though because you don't actually know what's on them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Until, I mean, right. they probably have like a label or something, but depending on how exact the person who labeled it. If I had been working in that day, people would be cursing my name because yeah. it would just say, uh, graduation 19, whatever. Yeah. And yeah. you'd be like, well, what, well, which parts? You. Yeah. yeah like, like, <laughs> I know.
1: And that happens a lot. And then you can find like super cool things on right. those. So like here we collect Michener stuff related mm-hmm. to James Michener and uh, we actually have a film vault that we rent in LA, um, that is filled with like. Film footage, the from Michener's documentaries that he worked on. So he had a doc. He worked with a documentary film company, and some of those I'm sure are some of like the dailies that are mm-hmm. in there. There's no information except to say like Poland. Right. So there's a whole box of who knows what stuff they cut out, right? Um, because. There's really cool stuff on some of these Michener films. Like, he interviewed um, a young Bill Clinton when Clinton had just become governor of Arkansas.
0: That's super cool. So
1: that would be really cool to see, like, what is the extra stuff that didn't actually make the cut. Right. Or he he interviewed uh, Pope John Paul II before he was pope. So it's one of the few interviews that exists of the pope when he was cardinal... V, W, I wish I could remember his name. Cardinal somebody. That's really cool, Uh, though. And
0: because you don't know until later how significant that stuff is, right? Like, I'm sure they didn't know at the time Bill Clinton would be the president. Right, yeah. Or they didn't know that he would be the pope later. Yeah. You know, all that stuff. Yeah, that's a weird thing, like what you were saying about what is significant and what's static. Yeah. You know, because Michener probably interviewed a bunch of people. Yeah. But they didn't all become president. Yeah, certainly, <laughs> certainly not. Yeah, unless so he had some kind of gift of like
1: <laughs> he could sense he was going to be the next president. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you don't know if the which ones are important and which ones are just kind of trivial, and it's really difficult to decide what to throw away and what to keep because you can't keep everything, right? And I've made that. I've I know in my profession I've made terrible mistakes Mm -hmm. where i've thrown away the wrong stuff and often when we're archivists since we're the last stop when we throw something away we make sure it's gone we like shred it or we destroy it it's donezo it's done yeah so like um i've done it by choice i've made decisions like i don't think anybody would ever use these records Mm -hmm. and then like Two weeks later, somebody's like, "Hey, I'd love to see those records," and I'm like, "Oh, well. of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now all they're, times. they're dead." Um, and I've also done it accidentally. Mm-hmm. Like one of the worst was that uh, we I discovered these, I I didn't realize they were. I don't know if you know about in old photography that you need a fixing agent to okay. keep the picture from disappearing. Mm-hmm. And I assumed these pictures that I had just discovered. Um, would have had the fixing agent mm-hmm. because that's crazy town for it not to have the fixing agent
0: for them to survive this long. Yeah. They, it
1: too? they would have been in the dark forever. Yeah. Um, and so I had just pulled them out and I was going to work on them and I'd left them on my desk. Uh-huh. Um, and I came back the next day and they were completely blacked out because Whoa. everything had disappeared wow. and it just died because I left it on my
0: desk. Right.
1: Um, and I didn't even think that.
0: Why? Yeah. yeah. Why would you even
1: think that? <laughs> yeah. But there were some cool pictures of, like, interior of mines and interior of mill work. Wow. And they're gone.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, it seems like a, a weird thing, too, because there's there's a lot of static to get through, right, yeah. to get to the good stuff. But then there's also this factor of, um, you know, stuff you're purposely getting rid of and then stuff that is getting rid of itself, for right, lack yeah. of a better way to yeah. say it. and. So then what you're left with is kind of, you know, there's a certain amount that you have to pick through, but then there's a certain amount that you don't get to choose. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so definitely. That seems like that would be frustrating to me. I'd be like, I want to choose. I don't want to be, I don't want nature to decide. Right. Yeah, you know?
1: it is. It it can be that way where something gets eaten by itself. Or, right. You know, and photos are terrible for that. Right. Like they, they just disappear. I right. I mean, they're, even with a fixer. Um, when you like people look back at like their grandparents or their parents Mm -hmm. photographs and they're all turning bright red, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've noticed that in some of the old pictures. Um, that's because the, the dyes, um, like fade at different rates. So the red is the strongest dye in there. So it Uh lasts while the, by the blues and the greens are just disappearing. So eventually the picture will just be straight red. It'll, there'll be nothing.
0: I did not know that.
1: So it is it is super frustrating. That's why we we keep things cold in archives, to mm-hmm. slow down the chemical reactions. Okay. Um, and it's the same with papers eating itself, the acid in the papers eating it. So right. we want to slow down the chemical reactions as best we can. There's even like um, – there's a certain kind of film that was produced um, – in the teens and the twenties primarily, mm-hmm. um, silver nitrate mm-hmm. film. I don't know if you know, silver nitrate film, but it can spontaneously combust. If it gets uh, warm wow. enough, um, it will just catch on fire. And, um, wow. you know, it just goes um,
0: like flash paper. Then Yeah,
1: it is. And it burns super hot and super fast.
0: So it burns a lot of stuff around yeah, it. It burns and... stuff
1: around it. Wow. So you, um, to be safe, you want to keep it frozen mm-hmm. so that there's no chance.
0: Um, so then I saw upstairs at one point there was some of uh, Michener's stuff. Okay, yeah. There was, like, he had a desk lamp that was yeah. supported by, like, a uh, an old can, yes. basically. And yeah. then um, I think one of his dentures was in there? Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that something you were involved in? Is this, like, material that...
1: Well, that's pre-me, the, okay. the setting that stuff out. Um, and the teeth are something I would never p- normally pick to put out. Uh-huh. What... It ended up here, kind of mysteriously, in that after Mitchner died, um, they kind of went in through his house and mm-hmm. they just loaded up boxes of stuff, and it was a real m- mix of weird things. I mean, just mm-hmm. personal items, just like his yeah, whatever like tissues, like boxes of tissues, okay. you know. And so we've gone through to kind of clear out things that are not. It's, again, making those decisions, what, mm-hmm. what are actually valuable for research. Mm-hmm. So whoever was the the archivist before me just thought that the dentures would be a cool display item. And uh, they are to the extent that, like, everybody remembers that yes. they see those. Yes, I remember seeing yes. them very
0: distinctly. <laughs> yes. And uh. thinking it was odd.
1: They Yes. But it sticks with them. Yeah. So, I mean, we also have, like, some a pair of his... Eyeglasses, yeah, as well, which is which is weird, yeah, but
0: yeah, it makes me think of you know, if if I were to be well known and then passed away and they went through my apartment, I'd be like, well, are they gonna put like what are they gonna put in there, like (laughs) my toothbrush, or you know, yeah, if if I could shepherd someone through i'd be like these would probably be interesting things yes. to have uh, and yes. i don't think i would go you know i have a retainer yeah. that i still wear i don't i that's don't know going, if i would be on display yeah i week. mean now i know <laughs>
1: yeah. we should have like yeah alumni retainers <laughs> that would be beautiful
0: famous retainers <laughs> of the world yeah, yeah. We'll have to just start with non-famous and work our way up.
1: Just, yeah, expand our collecting (laughs) area. Um, Yeah, it is a little strange. And at some point, we actually have hired um, a student, um, a graduate student, who's um, working on Michener-related stuff. Okay. So we might revisit that display, but it's not been a high priority for me Okay. To update it, I've kind of left it as it was. They sure. have one exhibit case up there that rotates, displays, mm-hmm. but the rest is pretty static. Okay, um, so it's and it's supposed to, yeah. The teeth case is just supposed to be the funny case, I guess. I don't okay. know. And you sort know, of a novelty, the novelty almost, case, yeah. Because yeah, I mean the the desk lamp that's been taped to yeah. the, the juice can is just to show how Mitchner was like to just use what he had available. Right. You know, and he was if he could make it work, he would make it work. He right. didn't feel it was necessary to go buy a, a specialized desk lamp. He had right. a desk lamp. So why not just make it work?
0: Right. Yeah, I should describe that a little bit. It's uh it's kind of a normal desk lamp, except I guess he wanted it to be taller. Yeah, he wanted it to be taller. And so he just took this old can. I mean it's like an old juice can with the label still on yeah, it. The label is and still he on just it. like Turn it upside down, stuck this lamp on top of it, and then it's like, there you yeah. go. And then taped it on there.
1: Yeah, it really was just the – and I think it is, a, it, it is a cool thing to show his, like, um, his desire to kind of use everything he had. Right. And his uh, – I think it also comes from his history of uh, poverty mm-hmm. because he grew up really ridiculously poor. Mm-hmm. Um, the, his um, adopted mother struggled – a great deal they actually ended up in the poor house for a while and mitchner did not want that for himself but hmm. i think you grow up if you grow up in a very poor environment where there's not a lot of money a lot of resources you figure out how to make do and he just always right he always did
0: and then even yeah. when you are the mitchner yeah and you, you know <laughs> yeah you remember library named after yeah. you and stuff but you're still yeah um <laughs> I wanted to ask you, like, this is kind of, like, a tough question. Okay. Um, But I swear I don't mean it in an aggressive fashion. (laughs) What's, to you or to the industry, I guess, the importance of archiving one-of-a-kind physical objects? And, you know, why does it matter to have something like Connie Willis's papers? You know, we all have – we have the finished books. We have digital versions of the books, all these things. So, what? like, what to you and then what is the industry – standard or idea right. of why, why does that matter? Yeah. That, why does your life matter? Yeah. Jay? No, no <laughs>
1: that's a good question. And it, it, um, to start, I'll talk about like in graduate school, uh-huh. um, in particular, I remember reading an article, um, which talks about the importance of the real and it was super influential in my life. Um, because there is a power, to um, an actual object, and I re- the article was specifically about slave shackles. Mm. Um, so they're like, you know, there's a difference when you bring in slave shackles that were actually used on a person, mm-hmm. as opposed to some sort of plastic reproduction. And it's a mm. kind of an an intangible thing about that realness. I know that's kind of
0: no, that's a great example. You know,
1: I mean, it's there. There is just something. There's no denying the reality when it's right there in front of you. Right. Um, And in the profession, um, we talk about um, intrinsic value Mm -hmm. versus um, informational value. Mm -hmm. Um, So in certain cases in archives, we don't think that the actual format itself has any intrinsic value. Okay. So um, when you think about something... Um, not necessarily very exciting. The Board of Trustees Minutes mm-hmm. um, for an organization. Mm-hmm. So that's they're super important for the history of the organization, mm-hmm. but it really doesn't matter if you've got the actual, the actual books. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can record that information in a different format. You can digitize okay. that, and that's just as valuable. You just need to be able to take care of make sure that that, information doesn't disappear but there are certain things where there is an intrinsic value in the actual format itself i see so sometimes that's artistic Mm -hmm. um sometimes it is just like i talked about with just like the slave shackles there's just something Mm -hmm. there um and sometimes it's the information itself is connected somehow to the format Mm -hmm. Um, and there's no getting away from saving that format to save that item okay um and so, yeah, I mean, probably 90% of things, the it's the informational value that's important. Right. There's a much right. smaller percentage where the actual um, format really does matter, or the actual original right. item. Um, but when you think about Connie Willis's, when you use that example, mm-hmm. so... Um, we do have the final book, mm-hmm. but with the archival record, we've got the journey that leads you to that book, mm. which is what's really valuable, I think. Because you can see, um, it's almost like, oh, I think like deleted scenes on your DVD player. Okay. So you can see um, that this entire scene um, was cut, you know, this entire idea, this entire sub sub theme in the book or it transformed into something else Mm -hmm. um i know like within doomsday book um there was a there's an idea that she later that she just gets rid of Mm -hmm. for doomsday book um and brings that idea back for um to say nothing of the dog so it was the um the drowning of the kittens i believe in to say which is used in to say nothing of the dog Mm -hmm. that first started out in doomsday book and so you can see that transformation and really um it's kind of amazing to see that that journey in in connie willis's book so that's why that's really valuable because you can
0: see you can see that process yeah in addition to the product yeah like you can see how how the sausage was made a little bit yeah
1: yeah definitely and how complex because with um yeah, with literary archives like this, you can see there'll be, like, sometimes there'll be, like, an outline. There'll be all the notes that they make, all the, the research drafts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, Connie's stuff, she writes and rewrites stuff so mm-hmm. much. So, like, for Doomsday Book, I think it was the first chapter was rewritten 27 times. Wow. Um, so, you know, she starts and then makes minor changes, minor changes, you know, and then... right. What you've got at the beginning to what you have at the end is a very different
0: it's completely, yeah, um so wow. it's really
1: cool um and you know you can see it in like in Michener stuff too mm-hmm. like we have with um Centennial, we have a book that was never published mm-hmm. um, that was written in the fifties mm-hmm. um, that's called Jefferson. Mm. Um which is a proto-centennial. So uh, a lot of okay. the ideas that are developed and used in Centennial exist here right. and then
0: they're just not fully fleshed out. So that right. exists, you know, on its own. So really good, especially for you know, if you're somebody who's really interested in Michener, yeah. or you're someone who is maybe really interested in writing or right, something yeah. and you're saying, How do these people do it? Yeah. And you can kind of go back and yeah. look at these, you know, heroes and yeah, see what they were doing and say, "Oh, okay. Well, Connie Willis didn't get it right right out yeah. of the gate, you <laughs> yeah. know, It took her 27 times yeah. to really hit the tone she was looking for to be happy with what she gets." Yeah, and That's cool.
1: Um and like when I was at the like the State Archives, for example, we used to we maintained um tapes mm-hmm. of every single legislative session starting in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And so we were always filled up. The reading room was always filled up with lawyers well probably paralegals right? who would listen to these tapes you know they have the final law right? but they want to know
0: what, what did they actually that...
1: mean when they said these words in the law oh, and so yeah. they would be for like major you know legislative actions there would be poor paralegals like trapped in these listening rooms for days <laughs> just <laughs> right. listening to legislative
0: yeah and they just oh yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. That you know, I think about that maybe with artistic things that people want to know. Yeah. What? How did this come to be? But I hadn't thought about that with something like a law. But it makes a lot of sense, right? Because yeah. if if you have a case and you're going to argue about the law, you're like, yeah. well, why did this get created, yeah. and how does that apply to this situation? Yeah. But so it's important to know where it all came from.
1: Yeah, and what they actually meant. Yeah, because because when you have when you have the records, you can say, this is the intent. This yeah. is the actual intent because I have, this person says, this is what
0: I mean by this. Right. You know,
1: and that doesn't happen that often, but you can dig through the
0: material. Um, I did want to ask you about too. So, you know, most of us have some kind of sort of archivey personal items, you know, like people will keep old journals, old photos, um, just that kind of stuff. Is there anything, like, you would suggest as far as, like, you know, things people might do to sort of um, better preserve these kinds of things or, you know, better enjoy them, maybe?
1: Yeah. Well, I think one of the big things that people need to do, just for preservation's sake, is for God's sake, don't put it out in your garage ever. Mm. Like, stability of... Of environment is super important for historic photographs and for papers and things like that. Okay. Um, it's not best to put it in the basement right. of a building because of water issues. Right. Um, there's, I mean, the, those aren't huge deals, but I mean, um, a lot of times um, people just have it things stored in terrible places. you got to think about... Um, you know, you don't want just boxes of photographs where the photos are like touching each other because mm. the um, if it gets the if the temperature changes mm-hmm. um, or the humidity is really the problem, some of that coating on the outside will start to get moist and they'll mm-hmm. stick together and then you'll lose okay. images. Um, you don't want. Um, Oh, I'm trying to think of other major problems like that. But, um, oh, the, one of the worst things are those horrible photo albums from probably the 80s and the 70s. The sticky photo albums? Oh, where albums? it's the sheet and yeah. you pull it
0: back and then stick the photos yeah. and then lay the sheet back over. And it has like yeah. a almost a staticky sticky yeah. feel to it.
1: Yeah, it's got some kind of a gluey. Yeah. Kind of, and those are terrible for photographs. Okay. So it's better not to keep your stuff in there. Um, because it will eat through it okay Um, digitization is great now I mean for access to to be able to see stuff I mean I recommend that people I mean we create access copies Mm -hmm. for archival material so these are the things that we'll use every day so that we don't destroy the original so we still got the original
0: safe right so
1: that's important
0: so that's a good way to enjoy it more is if you can digitize it yeah then you can enjoy that while not Ruining, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) like destroying
1: the original, yeah, because the original can be easily destroyed. But I see, like, yeah, don't eat barbecue while like looking at right your grandfather's World War One service record. You know,
0: (laughs) be a little careful. Yes, and then maybe like the other side of the question, you know, let's say, I mean, most of us probably have from like a relative or something shoebox full of pictures, right. And we all kind of are like, I should go through this and get rid of some stuff, right? Yeah. What would you say, like, do you have any professional advice on, like, how to get rid of, you know, how to pair that collection down to a manageable?
1: Well, one, th- I mean, it's really important to uh, identify people before whoever gave it to you. Dies or oh, sure. who's you know, because, in this picture? Yeah, because that if you end up with a box of pictures that are completely unidentified mm-hmm. and there's no markings on the back or there's mm-hmm. no information, what good is it? Is a is right. a question. I mean, because that's something that we think about in archives. I mean, if there's absolutely no research value in a collection of photographs, mm-hmm. why do we keep it? Or right. think of papers if it comes from an unknown source, right? Talking about an unknown item, right? Do you actually need to keep that? Um so I mean if there's no possible way of ever figuring out what these images are, mm-hmm. You got to ask yourself do you need
0: to keep that? Um and go through them before Yeah. You know somebody so I should go to my mom's house Yeah. today yeah. and be like okay this picture of a house. What is this house? Yeah. Why it? did we take a picture of this? Yeah. Why does it it's matter? Like, oh, and if nobody the... knows then. It might not be worth keeping. (laughs) Who is this? Is this my great uncle? Or Or, is this some guy standing outside the photo place and you were like, I have one picture left. So I just gotta get this done. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it is,
1: you know, that and you have a million random
0: pictures that are just worthless. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wildcast. If you would like more information about the project or you would like to participate, please visit our website at www.weldcast.com or call 1-888-861-7323. This has been a production of the High Plains Library District.